bow our hearts in a word of prayer as we prepare to hear the word. Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov, Elohei Yeshua, Mishikenu, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. God of Yeshua, the Messiah, we come before you today, God, with full hearts. God, hearts desirous to worship you, with hearts desirous to seek you. God, with hearts to hear your voice and to obey your word. Father, I pray that you would speak to us clearly, that you would inspire us and invigorate us by your Ruach. Help us to be what you want us to be, a light in this dark world. And we ask it, B'Shem Yeshua Mishikenu, and God's people said, Amen. Chag Hanukkah Sameach. Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah is an awesome holiday, but it really gets a bad rap. <laughs> so, so I know that too. It's Hanukkah time. <laughs> um, Hanukkah gets overlooked, but do you realize that uh, even in the larger body Messiah that celebrate, you know, Christmas, that Christmas isn't in the scripture, but Hanukkah is. The Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, celebrated Hanukkah. And if it wasn't for Hanukkah, there would be no Christmas. Because if the Jewish people weren't preserved, if the Messiah didn't come, right, um, there would be no Gentile worshiping the Jewish Messiah. So Hanukkah is a really, really important um, holiday. Like I said, Yeshua celebrated uh, Hanukkah. And it's because it has meaning. As we light the Hanukkah every night and we take that shamish candle that represents Yeshua, how do we know that? Because all the servant psalms within the book of Isaiah speak about the servant of the Lord. And the servant of the Lord is the Messiah. And the Messiah that gives light, and you take that shamish and you light the other lights, it gives light to all men. And Yeshua standing in Yerushalayim just before Hanukkah, lifting his voice and saying, I am the light of the world. It's not a coincidence. It's not a happenstance. It's not an accident. It is by divine providence that the Mashiach came as the light of the world, the servant of all, to come and give light to men. That the light of God would live in its fullness in mankind, and that mankind would go and spread that light to others. From an article I read, what is Hanukkah? When the royal Hasmonean family overpowered and was victorious over the Greeks, they searched and found only a single cruise of pure oil, enough to light the menorah for a single day. A miracle occurred, and they lit the menorah with this oil for eight days. Right? God, we sang it, the first song, Al-Hanisim, the God of miracles. The God who does great and wondrous miracles in every generation. Friends, could I tell you that I'm looking at miracles right now before my eyes. That you have been, you who were once dead in your sin, have been born anew, reinvigorated and reconnected to the living God is a miracle of God. And on the following year, they assembled these eight days, the days of festivity and praise and thanksgiving to God. That's what Hanukkah is about. Many miracles, great and small, accompanying the liberation of Israel from Hellenic dominance and the reclaiming of the holy temple as the lighthouse of God. 
But there is one particular miracle the Talmud says is saying that is the sum and substance of Hanukkah. The miracle of the small cruise of oil. The, the miracle of multiplication. The miracle that God, who is able to sustain when it looks like something is unsustainable. Perhaps you felt that way. How could God sustain me? Perhaps Yosef felt that way. My goodness, how could God sustain me when things are going from bad to worse? He's a God of miracles, that's why. The challenge faced by the Jewish people at the time was unlike any that had confronted them before. Hellenism, which is a noxious blend of hedonism and philosophy, could not be resisted by the conventional tools of Jewish learning and tradition. Only the crews of pure oil, the supra-rational, the supra-egotistical essence of the Jewish soul from which stems the Jews' intrinsic self-sacrificial loyalty to God could illuminate the way out of the mud swamps of Hella or Greece. Only by evoking this inner reserve of incontaminable oil were we able to banish the pagan invader from God's home and rekindle the torch of Israel as a light unto the nations. Setting the scene, really, for the Messiah to come. So I want us to consider this, that if the Jewish people of that day did not take personal responsibility in working with God to get done what they needed to get done. We would be sitting here today probably without a Jewish nation and without the Messiah. That the world would not have the greatest light that's ever come in Mashiach. But it was because the obedience of the people of God. But this oil, he goes on to write, but this oil was sufficient only for a single day. By nature, man's highest powers flare brightly and fleetingly, soon receding to the superconscious, super behavioral place from which they have come. Isn't that true? When a person's deepest self is challenged, the essential oil of his soul is stimulated, and no force on earth can still its flame, but then the moment passes. The cataclysmic levels off into the routine of everyday life. And the person is left with his ordinary mortal self. The miracle of Hanukkah was that they lit the menorah with this oil for eight days. That the flame of selfless sacrifice blazed beyond a moment of truth and beyond a day of reckoning and lasted for eight days. That it endured. That this pure oil burned beyond its one-day lifespan for an additional week, illuminating the seven chambers of the soul. This was no mere flash of light in a sea of darkness, but a flame destined to shed purity and light for all generations under all conditions. So thus the Talmud relates that it was only on the following year that these eight days were established as the festival of Hanukkah. A year is a microcosm of time, embodying all of time's seasons and transmutations. 
So it was only on the following year after had, it had weathered all fluctuations of the annual cycle that the victory of Hanukkah could be installed as a permanent fixture in our lives. And again, it is significant that in the Brit Chadashah, we have in the New Covenant scriptures, we have the only place recorded where Hanukkah is celebrated in all of the Bible. I think it's a message of God to us that the very New Covenant scriptures and the New Covenant, more importantly, that Yeshua began would not have existed without it. Hanukkah, like all great victories that God wrought for our people, is a picture of Messiah, the light of the world, and all that his light means for his messianic community. The scriptures speak a lot about light and its significance to the follower of Messiah. Listen to these scriptures and let them paint a picture of the true nature of God's light. Listen to this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. You are the light of the world. A city is set on a hill, cannot be hid. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Then Yeshua spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then lastly, then Yeshua said to them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come on you. For he that walks in darkness knows not where he goes. What a stark contrast. Is the light of God, his kingdom and his people to the darkness that is in our world today? Isn't it? Here we are celebrating the light of God and the light of the Mashiach. And yet all around us in the world we see darkness. We see evil in every form imaginable. Our rabbis taught it is incumbent to place the Hanukkah lamp by the door of one's house on the outside. Why on the outside? So you could be a light to others. That the Hanukkah lamp, it's consistent with what Yeshua said. Don't take your lamp and hide it under a bushel. No, but put it forth for all to see. Far too many believers are hiding their lamps under the bushel. They're taking that Hanukkah and they're just keeping it for themselves and their families. Yet the Messiah said, no, let it shine forth to illuminate a dark place. Light's a wonderful thing. Have you ever been in a place that has been totally pitch black, dark, no light at all? You are incapacitated. You can't even move. 
you start to move very circumspectly and everything slows down and you lose your orientation. Today as we celebrate and have in mind the Hanukkah miracle of the oil and the light that the Hanukkah sheds on our lives, I will do an acrostic using the word light. And the first one is love. You know, I, I've been reflecting how many times, right, we've heard a lot about other religions on the news, correct? How many times have you heard the word love? We've heard about other religions being peaceful. But have you heard the word love? The light of God that he has shown forth in the world and upon the hearts of his people is a heart of love. This separates the kingdom of God from all other kingdoms. God's love, to quote an old song, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall ever or forevermore endure the Kiddoshim and angels' song. The love of God. The great love of God that motivated him to send his one and only son to be tortured and hung on a tree to redeem his creation. Love. God continues to look down at a world engulfed in darkness and he is still eager to shine his light upon all humankind. It is his unending, unyielding love for his creation that causes him to continually reach out and offer to all who would come a safe passage out of darkness. That's what he's ever doing in the Messiah. He's reaching out his hands to the world and saying, would you come out of darkness and into my wonderful light? First Corinthians tells us what love is. It's who God is. And it's who we are supposed to emulate. Love is patient. Love is kind. Not jealous. Not boastful. Not proud. Rude. Or selfish. Love is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not gloat over other people's sins, but takes its delight in the truth. Love always bears up, always trusts, always hopes, always endures. Love never ends. That's powerful. That's who God is. That's who God is toward his creation, and that's who we are to be to the world. 
The enemy, through so many different means, including religions, tries to introduce fear to mankind. But God sent and continues to send through you and me his light. In Yeshayahu, Isaiah chapter 9, listen to what it says. And it's valid today. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those living in the land that lies in the shadow of death, light has dawned. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, dominion will rest on his shoulders and he will be given the name Pelioetz, El Gibor, Aviad, Sar Shalom. Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, father of eternity, prince of peace. In order to extend the dominion and perpetuate the peace of the throne of the kingdom of David, to secure it and sustain it through justice and righteousness, henceforth and forever. A light is dawned, and a light is supposed to continually dawn upon the hearts of men through you and me. Ask yourself a question. Am I being love to the world? You know what? We could even ask and break it down to a simpler question. Am I being love to my family? Right? Am I being love to my spouse in the way that the scripture defines it? Because if we can't be love to our own families... We'll never make it out of our house to shine brightly. So we practice, right, with our families to exude the light and the love of God to others. Yeshua gives the definitive test in Yochanan chapter 8, John chapter 8. He says this to the perishim, to the Pharisees. He said, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I came out from God and now I have arrived here. So if we love God first, that means we love Yeshua. Right? And if we love Yeshua, then we will love others. I. Love. I tell you right now, love is the missing element from all other religions. I, indestructible. Say indestructible. In the prophet Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he disclosed the plan of God for the setting up of a kingdom which was to be unlike all those who had gone before it. Daniel declared that God had a plan for a permanent, everlasting kingdom. And in the days of those kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, nor shall the sovereignty thereof be left to another people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Daniel 2, 44. This one was to be different. In fact, later in the book, Daniel suggested that this one thing that is distinctive about what God is capable of of doing is opposed to man's abilities. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion from generation to generation, to generation, to generation that will never end. 
God and God alone is able to establish a never-ending, indestructible kingdom. And you serve in that kingdom, if you indeed serve. Amen? That you're serving a kingdom that's indestructible. Not only is God's kingdom indestructible, but the Messiah that would come would be indestructible as well. Speaking of Mashiach, the Brit Chadashah says it becomes even clearer if a different kind of Kohen, one like Machit Tzedek, arises, one who became a Kohen not by virtue of a rule in the Torah concerning physical descent, but by virtue of the power of an indestructible life. For it is stated, you are a Kohen forever to be compared with Machit Tzedek. That is Messiah indestructible. He lives forever and ever and ever, and he will come again one day, probably soon. Certainly sooner than people think. To God, that could be a thousand years, it could be a day, but who knows? But I'll tell you what, when he comes, people will be surprised. Yeshiyahu 40 and 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Why is that? Because God's kingdom is indestructible. Listen to me, folks. If we're putting our stock in the kingdoms of of men, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. God tells us, don't lay up your treasure on earth for a reason. Because there is one kingdom that is indestructible. One that is a safe kingdom to invest in. It's called the Machut Elohim, the kingdom of God. We need to be investing the best of our lives into the kingdom. Why is God so confident? Why does he tell us time and time and time again, over 140 times, not to fear? Do you know why that is? It's because he knows that his kingdom is incapable of failing. And will endure forever. He knows his kingdom will not fail. And so he tells you and me, fear not. Because I'm with you. In other words, let me put it to you this way. If you're with him, he's with you. And if he's with you, you are serving in an indestructible kingdom. And nothing about his kingdom will ever fade. So don't give up and don't lose heart. Keep on trusting in the living one. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Next we see that we shine forth his wonderful light by being generous. Let me tell you about generosity. Generosity is a hallmark of the kingdom of God. Am I exaggerating? Am I using hyperbole? Let's read. For God so loved the world that he gave the most important thing in the universe. He gave his only and unique son. God holding nothing back. He didn't say, wait a second. I'm going to keep a little stash for myself. I'm going to keep the best hidden away, protected. Did he? 
He took the very best, his only unique son, and gave it to the world. Knowing full well what would become of him, knowing full well what he would go through, God gave his very best. So that everyone who trusts in him may have eternal life. Instead of being utterly destroyed. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. But rather so that through him the world might be saved. Those who trust in him are not judged. Those who do not trust have already been judged. In that they have not trusted in the one who is God's only and unique son. You see God not playing favorites not leaving anyone out. So he calls out and makes an offer to all people everywhere, saying everyone who trusts in him, everyone may have eternal life. Do you realize that you and I, the scripture says, hated God? I know we like to think, we paint ourselves in a good light, how we were loving God. And we somehow had a heart for God. That's not what the scripture really says. Is that when we, before we received the Messiah, we were at, at enmity with God, at war with God. By the very nature of rejecting his commands, we were his enemy. And how many do you know who go after their enemy and say, I will lay down my life for you? That's what God did. Is that not generous of God? Absolutely. Yeshua spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never, say never, walk in darkness, but will have the light which gives life. What a generous offer Messiah made to all men. Whoever follows me will never, say never, walk in darkness. I don't know about you, you can only speak for myself. I remember there's times where, you know, let's face it, the road of walking with Yeshua isn't always easy, is it? It has its share of challenges and hardships. But every time I think about my life before I receive the Messiah, you know what God shows me? And it's almost palpable to me. Darkness. Darkness. Without him, I was in darkness. But then... He revealed himself to me. And wow, how superior is light to darkness? The scripture says in 1 Timothy 6, charge them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous. Say generous ready to share. In this way, they will treasure up for themselves a good foundation for the future so that they may lay hold of the real life. You see, the word of God greatly encourages us to be generous in all things. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over. This is what God's saying to us. Think about this. Don't be rash. Stingy, stingy crop. 
lavish, lavish crop. Think about which one do you want? And then make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. And this does not just include finances, friends. It includes being generous with our time. Generous with our talents. Being generous with our finances, with our knowledge, with our experience. Essentially being generous with our entire life. The Messiah, think about it. You have a house you live in? An apartment? Nice and it's warm. The Messiah had no place to lay his head. The light of the world. Generosity is impossible apart from our love of God and of his people. But with such love, generosity not only is possible, but inevitable. What is he saying? If we really love God, God has a generous heart. Generosity will exude from us. We won't be able to help it. Because that's who the very nature of God is. Mishlei 11.24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. What does that mean? That means that the very design of God in creation is to be generous. And when we obey the laws of the harvest, guess what? We reap the fruit. The laws of the harvest are really threefold. You reap what you sow, you reap after you sow, and you reap more than you sow. Whatever you sow, whatever it is, those are the laws of the harvest. Those laws always come to fruition. So make sure you sow the right stuff. Amen? H, honors. We're talking about light. What is it to be a child of light? All these things. To be love, right? To understand we serve in an indestructible kingdom. To be generous and one that honors. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now, says the Lord, far be it from me for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. We can see from this verse how much God thinks about honor and how it is part and parcel of with who he is as the light of the world. The light of God in the world is honoring of others. It is not disrespectful or rude, but it looks to esteem others. How are you with others? How are you within your family, with your spouse? I know I might step on it too, but how are you at work? Honoring of the other employees? Are we right there beside them, kvetching about the boss and the work and the job and how unfair it is and how we're mistreated and overworked and underpaid? Honoring. It's a principle of God. 
Messianic Yehudim 13, Hebrews 13, 18 says, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. We live in a society that does not practice honor. We seem to have lost grip of this concept. But this does not excuse us who are part of God's kingdom looking to shine forth his light. The scripture expressly says, honor everyone. Who is that? Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. That's the charge to the believer who wants to shine forth God's light. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Honorable. How would people describe you? Would they say honorable person, generous person, loving person? The last letter in our acrostic is T, truth. Oh, we have a little time. Let me back up a little before we do that. I want to tell you a story. A teacher in New York decided to honor each of her seniors in high school by telling them the difference they each made. Talking about honoring people and its importance. Using a process developed by Hellas Bridges of Del Mar, California, she called each student to the front of the class one at a time. First, she told them how the student made a difference to her in the class. Then she presented each of them with a blue ribbon imprinted with gold letters, which read, Who I am makes a difference. Afterwards, the teacher decided to do a class project to see what kind of impact recognition would have on the community. She gave each of the students three more ribbons and instructed them to go out and spread this acknowledgement ceremony. Then they were to follow up on the results to see who, had, see who honored whom and report back to the class in about a week. One of the boys in the class went to a junior executive in a nearby company and honored him for helping him with his career planning. He gave him a blue ribbon and put it on his shirt. Then he gave him two extra ribbons and said, we're going to do a class project on recognition. And we'd like you to go out, find somebody to honor, and give them a blue ribbon. Then give, them, then give them the extra blue ribbon so that they could acknowledge a third person to keep this acknowledgement ceremony going. Then please report back to me and tell me what happened. Later that day, the junior executive went to see his bosses, who had been noted, by the way, as being kind of uh, a grouchy guy. He sat, in a, he sat his boss down and he told him that he deeply admired him for being a creative genius. The boss seemed very surprised and I'm sure very flattered. 
And the junior executive asked him if he would accept the gift of a blue ribbon and he would give him permission, if he would give him permission to put it on him. His surprised boss said, well, sure. The junior executive took the blue ribbon and placed it right on the boss's jacket above his heart. As he gave him the last extra ribbon, he said, would you do me a favor? Would you take this extra ribbon and pass it on by honoring someone else? The young boy who first gave me the ribbons is going to do a project in school, and we want to keep this recognition ceremony going and find out how it affects people. Now listen to this. This is the crux of the story, and it's powerful. That night, the boss came home to his 14-year-old son, And he sat him down. He said, the most incredible thing happened to me today. I was in my office and one of the junior executives came in and told me he admired me and gave me a blue ribbon for being a creative genius. Imagine, he thinks, I'm a creative genius. Then he put this blue ribbon that says, who I am makes a difference on my jacket above my heart. He gave me an extra ribbon and asked me to find someone else to honor. As I was driving home tonight, I'd started thinking about whom I would honor with this ribbon, and I thought about you. I want to honor you. He's saying this to his 14-year-old son. Sometimes I scream at you for not getting good enough grades in school and for your bedroom being a mess, but somehow tonight, I just wanted to sit here and, well, just let you know that you do make a difference to me. Besides your mother, you are the most important person in my life. You're a great kid, and I love you. The startled boy started to sob and sob deeply, profoundly. He couldn't stop crying. His whole body shook. He looked up at his father and said through his tears, I was planning on committing suicide tomorrow, Dad because I didn't think you loved me, but now I do. The power of honoring someone, saying that what you do and who you are makes a difference to me. That's powerful. You know what? The world has enough to handle all the negativity that comes their way day in and day out. And yet God is wanting us to be those who honor other people so that their very life could be spared. Do you know what? That every single person on the face of the earth is important to God and is valuable and worthy of honor. Lastly, truth. Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeshua, the light of the world, is truth. He is inseparable from divine truth. Do you hear that? All the good ideas and intentions of men cannot replace or serve as a substitute to the truth of God in his kingdom. In order for us to both receive and reflect the light of God during this Hanukkah season and beyond, we must be committed to the truth. The truth not as 
you or I see it. But rather, truth as it really is, as God sees it. Do you hear me? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Truth sets people free. Not, te- not telling people what they want to hear. Not being, you know, dawdling people in the, under the guise of being kind. Yeshua was kind enough to tell us the truth. To tell us that we were perishing in darkness. And that we need his light. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Yeshua is the way to the Father, whether that upsets some of our Jewish people or not, friends. Some of our brethren are upset by that truth, but it doesn't make it any less true. It is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. We cannot change the truth or put a new twist on it or add to it. God's word is absolute truth. It is our responsibility as the people of God to live by his truth and to declare the message of truth. That's why he left us here, to live by his truth and declare his truth. Not our truth, not a truth, the truth. This is from Barna. While an estimated 74% of Americans strongly agree that there is only one true God who is holy and perfect and who created the world and rules it today. Wow, that's a lot of people, right? An estimated 65% either strongly agree or some would agree with the assertion that there is no such thing as absolute truth. That's scary. There is absolute truth. It's called the Bible. Every word, every line is true, 100% true. And if we start to change it, or get cloudy on it, or muddle it up for the sake of other people. We're not doing it service or justice. The scripture says, you shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. Perhaps this is why many who serve the living God are not living in true spiritual freedom. Right? You shall know the truth, And the truth shall set you free. And yet you and I know people who are bound, who are believers of God. If we do not believe in and therefore embrace God's word as absolute truth, then the word of God will not positively impact our life. It won't have an effect on us. Do you know if you read it and don't believe it, it doesn't help? If you read it and you doubt half of the things you read, it doesn't help. If you read it and you say you believe it but don't act on it, that doesn't help, right? Today I walked in this building and I believed that every light switch I turned on, the lights were going to go on. And you're sitting in a lit building. If I didn't believe that, I would never pull the switch. 
So if you don't believe something, you don't act on it. If we believe God's word, then we act on its truth. It is the truth that you know and believe that brings freedom. I want to ask you a question. Are you the light of the world? In reality. Are you walking and living and operating by the truth of God? Not your own opinions, not the opinions of men, not the tradition of men. But upon God's word. That's an important question to ask. A lot of us could fix some of the areas of our life if we would just give it some thought. You know what Yeshua said, what the scripture said about uh, being generous? Stop and think about it. Ponder and say, am I being the light of the world like Yeshua encouraged me to be? Am I loving others? Am I living in his indestructible kingdom? Am I generous with all that I am? Am I one that honors mankind? And do I walk in truth? That sounds like a powerful person to me, doesn't it? Well, guess what? That is who we were created to be and what we were created to do. So as we seek to live and walk in the light of God, let it be our goal to love and be loved, to remember that we serve in an indestructible kingdom, always ready to be generous with the entirety of our lives as we honor God and his creation and as we abide and advance the truth of Messiah. I'm going to invite the people who are going to pray to come forth now, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to to just... um, to receive prayer. Friends, I don't know how to say it any other way. You know, there are people who are laying down their lives for evil. And the Messiah wants us to lay down our lives for righteousness and goodness and love and truth. He wants us to be Light to the world. And you have to sit back, really, I think, and evaluate our lives and say, do I really want to be light to those around me? And I believe that deep down we really do. But you know what? It takes a commitment to say that I will be a light to those around me. I will love God and others, right? I will live in truth. I will be generous with my life for the sake of the kingdom of God. All those things require a commitment. So Jim's going to put on some music, and we have people here who, are, who want to agree with you in prayer. And I want you, I don't want you to just wholesale come up. Jim's going to put on some work in worship music. I want you to close your eyes to consider what I've said. Friends, this world needs light. The world needs you. The Messiah didn't leave you here because he didn't need you. He left you here because he needed you to advance his cause. And I want you to think about it seriously. Reflect on, am I willing Yeshua to be a light to those around me? And all that it entails...
let them speak to you and then come up for prayer. And they're going to pray and agree with you that God is going to empower you by his grace, by his ruach, to be that light, to be someone who can love others, truly, to love those who, you know, it's easy to love our family, isn't it? That's the easy part. It's loving those who don't like you, who even hate you. That's the tricky part. Loving the unlovable, that's what God calls us to. And all that it entails. Let's bow our hearts and pray. Thank you, Lord. And as God speaks to your heart and says, go up for prayer, you know, just ponder what I said. And when you feel you're ready, come up for prayer. Show me your face, Lord. Thank you, Lord.